Welcome to the latest episode of British History, Royals, Rebels, and Romantics, the podcast for people who understand that history shows us what's possible for us in our lives today. I'm Carol Ann Lloyd, your host and tour guide as we travel back in time. We're shaking up history to look at the stories that don't always make the history books, to consider famous and infamous characters in new and interesting ways, and to look for all the things that we share even when we're living in different times and places. I hope you enjoy this journey through the royals, rebels, and romantics of Britain. Now, let's explore history together. Hello, welcome to a journey back in time as we look at family feuds, starting with exes and in-laws. And who better to consider for that than Henry VIII? After all, he had more exes and in-laws than just about anyone in British history. Henry's life story is often told through his marriages. Some say that these women are so well-known because they married Henry. Well, okay, but I think he's so well-known because he married them. The wife du jour and her family shape Henry at every important moment of his reign. So let's take a look at these important and sometimes problematic royal family members. Of course, we start with Catherine of Aragon. She begins her relationship with Henry as an in-law, Henry's sister-in-law. This turns out to be one of the most important facts of their marriage. She was married to Arthur first. It brought her into Henry's life and it gave him a way to shove her out of his life. Catherine is an example of something important that relates to Henry's in-laws. When he marries someone with the middle name of, that means the in-laws are going to be a problem if, or when, things fall apart. If she is of somewhere, that means her family has power somewhere. Catherine of Aragon also brought Henry a mother and father-in-law, with that same powerful middle name, Isabella of Castile and Ferdinand of Aragon. These two monarchs, jointly named the Catholic kings, represented the powerhouse couple of Europe. If Henry had paid more attention to his mother-in-law, his life might have been easier. Isabella's history might have prepared him for the steely resolve of his first wife. Isabella became Queen of Castile on her own right. She was a powerful ruler associated with the shift of global power in Christianity from the Orient to Western Europe. The primary thing to know about Isabella of Castile is that she believed women could rule effectively. This was a belief she passed on to her daughter. Henry disagreed and wanted a son. And that's how Catherine started on the road to becoming his first ex. As Henry pushed harder for a divorce through the late 1520s, he ran into trouble with another in-law, his nephew-in-law, Charles V, the Holy Roman Emperor. When Charles and his troops sacked Rome in 1527, he, Charles, made the Pope a virtual prisoner. In this state, the Pope could not grant Henry VIII's request for an annulment. 
So Henry broke with Rome and did it himself. But not until Catherine died in January 1536 was Henry totally free from the possibility of a revenge invasion by his nephew-in-law. Henry's second wife, Anne Boleyn, is sometimes thought of as a lonely social climber whose father practically pimped out his daughters to make his way at court. This was not the case. When he married Anne, Henry may not have gained foreign royals as his in-laws, but the Boleyns were hardly upstarts. Henry's new mother-in-law, Lady Elizabeth Howard, was a member of the powerful Howard family. She was the eldest daughter of Thomas Howard, Duke of Norfolk. Elizabeth had a long history at the Tudor court, serving as lady-in-waiting to Henry's mother, Elizabeth of York, and then Henry's first wife, Catherine of Aragon. Elizabeth was in charge of her children's education, including Anne's. During Anne's courtship with the king, Elizabeth often served as chaperone. Thomas Boleyn was a successful and well-established courtier long before his daughters caught the king's eye. He served Henry VII and helped escort Margaret Tudor to Scotland for her marriage to James IV. Thomas was made Knight of the Bath at the coronation of Henry VIII in 1509, a sign of precedence in the king's court. Thomas Boleyn was ambassador to the Low Countries, where he met and so impressed the regent, Archduchess Margaret of Austria, that he got a much sought-after place in that court for Anne. He was involved in arranging the Field of the Cloth of Gold. Handy father-in-law activities. Henry also gained two siblings-in-law through his marriage to Anne. Henry's new sister-in-law was Mary Boleyn Carey. Here we have another ex and in-law situation, as Mary Boleyn was the king's ex-mistress. In 1520, she married William Carey, a member of Henry VIII's court. It's not known for sure if the affair between the king and Mary ended before or during her marriage to William Carey. Mary's daughter Catherine was born in 1524, and her son Henry was born in 1526. There were, of course, rumors that Henry VIII was father to one or both of these children, but given their dates of birth, that is unlikely. George Boleyn first came to court in 1514 at the age of about 10, where he impressed Henry enough to become one of the page boys. George continued to serve at court and in 1529, I'm sorry, 1525, became a gentleman of the Privy Chamber. George was knighted in 1529 and became known as Viscount Rochford when his father was created Earl of Wiltshire. He was appointed ambassador to France shortly thereafter. And George was the one chosen to go to France to tell Francis I about the king's marriage to Anne Boleyn. George was also part of his sister's dramatic downfall. He was accused of plotting with Anne to kill the king, as well as incest. George and Anne were tried 15th of May, 1536. They were both found guilty, no surprise. George was executed May 17th, two days before his sister. The notion of Anne Boleyn as an ex-wife wasn't much of an issue for Henry. He did have their marriage annulled, but then he had her executed just days later. So now we are on to wife number three. Henry's marriage to Jane Seymour brought him another father and mother-in-law, as well as a couple of important brothers-in-law. John Seymour was a longtime servant of the Tudors, knighted at the field of Blackheath for his service to Henry VII. He was made knight of the body, when Henry VIII came to the throne and was constable of Bristol Castle. He served along Henry VIII fighting in France at Terron and Tronay and participated in the Field of the Cloth of Gold. In 1532, he became a groom of the bedchamber. 
Henry's new mother-in-law, Marjorie Wentworth, was first cousin of Elizabeth Howard, Anne Boleyn's mother, and Edmund Howard, Catherine Howard's father. She married John Seymour in 1494. Marjorie had a large family, including many sons, which must have pleased Henry VIII while he was courting Jane. Marjorie had overseen all her daughter's educations, focusing on the traditional roles of household management. Therefore, Jane was less educated than Henry's first two wives. Of course, the most important relative Henry gained from Jane was his beloved son, Edward. After nearly 30 years, Henry finally had given England a male heir. Marjorie must have rejoiced when Jane gave birth to Edward in 1537 and then been devastated when the queen died just a few days later. Marjorie died during the reign of her grandson, Edward VI, having seen her sons Edward and Thomas play prominent roles in the new king's reign. She also saw firsthand the dangers of the Tudor court. Her son Thomas was executed for treason, largely on the instruction of her son Edward and grandson King. Edward and Thomas Seymour, Henry's brother-in-law, remained in court in favor after the death of their sister. In fact, they both went on to play key roles throughout Henry's reign and Edward's. Henry VIII mourned Jane Seymour, but he wanted more sons, so he was on the lookout for a new wife fairly quickly. For the first time, there was no handy candidate, no brother's widow sitting around or wife's lady-in-waiting readily available. Believe it or not, Henry needed some help finding his next victim. I, I mean wife. Henry's marriage to Anne of Cleves was the only one that followed the pattern of a traditional royal marriage, something arranged for political rather than personal reasons. The marriage didn't work at all. But as an ex-wife, Anne of Cleves was the best one Henry ever had. When he married Anne of Cleves, Henry came up again against one of those middle name of situations, meaning her family was powerful. His new father-in-law was John III, Duke of Cleves and Count of Mark. John's court was serious-minded and theologically inclined. It seemed like the ideal place to find a wife. John died in February 1539 before Henry and Anne were married. Henry's mother-in-law, Maria of Juckburg, was from a long line of German princesses. Despite her husband's religious inclination, Maria was a traditional Catholic. It's likely she raised Anne of Cleves to be Catholic as well. Maria taught her daughters how to run a noble household. That meant Anne was not taught the arts of courtly love, the skills of dancing and singing, or any of the other attributes Henry favored in the women around him. After their father's death, Anne's brother, William, was Duke of Cleves and head of Anne's family. The marriage of his sister to the King of England was an attempt by both parties to strengthen their standing in Europe through a Protestant alliance. The problem was the marriage was bad from the start. Put off by their first meeting, Henry wanted out. Because of his royal in-laws, he couldn't cancel the plans for the marriage. But eventually, he set upon a few reasons to declare the marriage void. Anne had been pre-contacted to the Duke of Lorraine. Henry had been unable to consummate the marriage because of this pre-contact and his worry. And Henry had actually not wanted to go through with the marriage. It became clear the king wanted to get rid of her. And Anne knew the fates of Henry's previous wives. When Anne realized Henry wanted an annulment and was willing to be generous if she agreed, 
She was relieved. Whatever her personal feelings about marriage, and if she was Catholic, she might have believed the marriage should not be dissolved, she still recognized if she accepted the divorce, she would be favorably treated. That was her only option. She was probably terrified of what might happen if she disobeyed. She wrote to Henry and gladly accepted his terms. She would henceforth be known as the king's sister. She would remain in England and willingly submit to his wishes. Henry was generous with Anne once he knew she would make it easy to end the marriage. He endowed her with a fine yearly income and made royal residences available to her. He declared she would have precedence over all the ladies at court except his daughters and any subsequent wife he might have. Plans were already moving forward for wife number five. When Henry married Catherine Howard, just days after he ended his marriage to Anne of Cleves, he did not end up with a living mother or father-in-law. Catherine's father, Edmund Howard, brother of Thomas Howard, Duke of Norfolk, had died in 1539, before the king even set eyes on Catherine. Catherine's mother, Joyce Culpepper, had died nearly 10 years before, so Catherine was an orphan when she married the king. But there were various family members around who would play roles in the story. Catherine had been raised in the house of her step-grandmother, the Dowager Duchess of Norfolk, who became the king's step-grandmother-in-law. At the Dowager Duchess's establishment, Catherine had a very active social life that likely includes abuse by a music teacher and a pre-contract with Francis Durham. However, all this was conveniently forgotten by her family when they brought Catherine to court. Henry was enchanted, and Catherine became the king's wife and queen consort on July 28, 1540. She was probably just 17 years old. Henry was almost 50. The king married Catherine Howard on the same day he executed his longtime servant, Thomas Cromwell. Cromwell's demise shot Thomas Howard up in the court ladder. And at the Tudor court, what goes up must come down. Those same in-laws who may have arranged for and benefited by Catherine Howard's rise were caught up in her fall. After a few months of marriage to the king, people from Catherine's past started coming to court. Frantic to keep her previous life a secret, Catherine gave them positions and soon found herself in an impossible situation. She also began some kind of relationship with Thomas Culpepper. When people from her past told Archbishop Cranmer of the relationships and the rest of Catherine's past, Culpepper's apartments were searched and a letter from Catherine to Culpepper was found. Cranmer took the news to the king on November 1st, 1541. Catherine was done. Here's something interesting, though. There's no official record that the marriage between Henry and Catherine was annulled. She was stripped of her title as queen, and typically with Henry's wives, the marriage is annulled when the wife doesn't, isn't the queen anymore. But there's no actual record of that happening with Catherine Howard. So maybe she wasn't an ex-wife at all. Many of the king's in-laws found themselves in prison. The Dowager Duchess, her stepchildren, one of Catherine's brothers, his wife, his children, everyone, it seemed, except that wily character, the Duke of Norfolk. Once again, seeing a niece in trouble, he couldn't run away quickly enough. He wrote a groveling letter to the king and managed to stay out of the Tower of London. 
Catherine was retroactively found guilty of treason when a new law was passed. No, <clears throat> no trial was held. Catherine Howard was executed February 13, 1542. This seemed to finally slow down the much-marrying monarch. But the king did find someone who either wanted or was at least willing to marry him. Catherine Parr provided the least active in-law situation for Henry. Her parents, Thomas Parr and Maud Green, were both long dead. Catherine had a brother and a sister. In fact, her brother would live into Elizabeth I's reign and be on very friendly terms with the queen. But no one in Catherine's family was pushing the king to marry her or dangling her in front of him or coaching her how to tip the king into marriage. This was all the king's choice. Catherine outlived Henry. She was not an ex, but it seems unfair not to mention her Henry afterlife. After the king's death, Catherine was finally able to marry the man she had wanted to marry all along, Thomas Seymour. She became pregnant for the first time, which seems to indicate maybe it wasn't the woman's fault after all. Sadly, she succumbed to childbirth fever shortly after the birth of her daughter, she died on September 5th, 1548, and was buried on the grounds of Sudley Castle. And our postscript, Henry VIII's other ex-wife, Anne of Cleves, lived on. She was welcome at court during the time of Catherine Howard and Catherine Parr. She survived not only Henry VIII, but also Edward VI. She lived into the reign of Mary Tudor and died in July of 1557, just before her 42nd birthday. She turned being an ex-wife of Henry VIII into a successful, lucrative, and safe hobby. Thank you for joining me to explore the exes and in-laws of Henry VIII. Join me next time as the Tudors take on their rivals from the North, the Stuarts. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please share with a friend. Do send any questions or comments. I'd love to hear from you where we should explore next. And please subscribe and leave a review. I'd really appreciate it. I'm so glad we could explore history together. Till next time.